Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Danny. Like Steve said in the children's sermon earlier, uh, I'm an intern here at First Lutheran, and it's awesome to be able to worship with you here in the traditional uh, service here in our sanctuary. I also want to say hello, though, to our worshipers in the contemporary service over in the fellowship hall, and I want to say hi to those who are joining us online. It's awesome that, although we're not always physically together, um, that we uh, get to be together still in worship and, uh, and praise this almighty God. And it's my prayer that this morning, um, you know, you and I together, we can grow closer uh, to God, that we would encounter him in new ways. Um, and uh, so we've been going over the last month here about this series called Best Kept Secrets. And I've loved this series because it's taken a look at the ways that Jesus changed the world as we know it, but in ways that we don't necessarily always give him credit for. So for the past month, our pastors, uh, Steve, Corey, and Angie have been going through that. And if you haven't had the chance to watch all of them, I really encourage you uh, to check out uh, our website, flcwb.org, and check out those sermons. Uh, I'm not just saying this because they're my bosses, but they're really brilliant. And I've learned a lot from them in this series. And uh, today, we are taking uh, a look at what Jesus taught us about love and uh, what comes with that love, uh, what it means about division, but more importantly, what it means about how we're united through love and uh, who Jesus says we're supposed to love. So I want to begin this message by asking you to picture something. I want you to picture someone. When I ask you, who do you love? And I know that in church, the answer is kind of typically like, Jesus, you know. That's, yes, absolutely. Um, but I also want to ask a person in your life, who do you love? Who is it that first comes to your mind? Maybe it's your spouse Maybe it's your child, maybe it's your mom, your dad, a cousin, a best friend, someone in your life. Who do you love? And I want you to think about, why do I love that person? What do they do for me? What do I do for them? What's our relationship like? Do we have things in common? If I had to guess, I would say that you probably have something in common. And hopefully, since this is the first person that you thought of when you think of, okay, I love that person, hopefully they love you back. See, these are the people who are easy to love. We've never had an issue with this. If someone loves us, it's easy to love them back. By loving us, they say, we're on your side. By loving us, we say, we have common ground. It's kind of always been like that, right? It's always been easy to love people who love us, but it's our enemies that we struggle with. It's the people who do us wrong that we struggle with. It's nothing new. Uh, back in Jesus' day, he had the same problem with the people, the Roman culture surrounding Jesus. So not necessarily the people who followed Jesus, but the Roman culture. Um, they, uh, they had religions that would teach them not to pray for their own hopes, for their own desires, but instead they would pray to curse their enemies. That was the root of their prayer. In fact, I have a, a, a prayer here to one of the Roman gods that was found on a Roman prayer tablet that's estimated to be from about 2,000 years ago, from Jesus' time. This gives us a look and to see what kind of people Jesus was dealing with when he came in with this breakthrough idea of love. This is how the prayer goes. I invoke you, holy angels and holy names. Tie up, block, strike, overthrow, harm, destroy, kill, and shatter. You curious, the charioteer, the chariot, that's a hard word, charioteer, and all his horses tomorrow in the arena of Rome. 
Let the starting gates not open properly. Let him not compete quickly. Let him not pass. Let him not make the turn properly. Let him not receive the honors. Let him, come, let him not come from behind and pass, but instead let him collapse. Let him be bound. Let him be broken up. And let him drag behind. Just picture that in your head for a second. Someone in a chariot dragging behind what they're actually asking for. You know what I'm saying? You're getting dragged by a horse. This is like a scene out of a movie. Not in the early races and the later ones. Now, now, quickly, quickly, smite my enemies. Now, that seems crazy. But we can relate, right? Think about, if you're a football fan, who were you cheering for yesterday? And who are you cheering against? This afternoon, when your favorite team plays, who are you cheering for? And are you cheering against someone? I'm not ashamed, though maybe I should be, to say that I am a Chicago Bears fan. I grew up in Des Moines. I'm not from the Twin Cities. That explains it. I'm going to preface this by saying I'm sorry that I'm a Bears fan. I believe they're God's team. I don't. Um, But I understand the Vikings are better than the Bears, okay? So I take the grief that I get with that. But when I walk down the street or when I walk through school and and I'm wearing a Bears hat or a Bears shirt and someone might come up to me if if they join me in Bears fanmanship, they might say to me, ah, da, Bears, you know what I mean? Or bear down. And they might sing the fight song, bear down, Chicago Bears. You know what I mean? We have this unity. We have this unison. We're on the same side. Therefore, when it comes to football— I love that person. They're my friend. Now, because I live in the Twin Cities, and when I wear a Bears shirt or a Bears hat, more often than not, I will have someone come up to me and say, your team stinks. (laughs) They're right. I mean, there's no doubt about it. My team is not doing very well. But nonetheless, it makes me angry at them. They might be right. But in terms of football, they're now my enemy. In terms of football— They're on the other side. And when it comes to sports, this is pretty harmless, right? And when it comes to all this, we can say, well, of course, it was the Romans. It was the Roman culture that taught people to have this vengeance against people, not only to cheer for something, but to cheer against, to hope for bad feelings. For example, if I watch the Vikings game today, I'm going to hope they lose. I might even watch that over watching my own team, the Bears, probably lose to the Lions. And just the way it goes. But take a look at the Jewish culture also around Jesus. The people who were called to follow this Messiah. The Jews and also the Pharisees. See, they also had trouble with this whole us versus them. See, they they followed the Levitical law. And uh, we're going to unwrap Leviticus today. And I know that's really exciting when you hear the preacher come in and say, let's take a look at Leviticus and law. Really, it's a good book, and you should, un- you should really unwrap it. But we are definitely going to take a look at uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 today, and look at this law that they misinterpreted as a community in Jesus' time. So if we could pull that up, let's read this together. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of, you, of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's a good law. There's no doubt about it. We should love those in our community. We should love our neighbors. The problem is this was misinterpreted, and Jesus knew that. The problem is, is that they heard this, okay, love my neighbor. Okay, so what about the people who are opposite of my neighbor? The strangers, the enemies. How should I treat them? They are opposite of my neighbor. 
So therefore, I should treat them opposite of love, which is hate. And that's how they saw it. By loving my neighbor, I'm called to hate my enemies. It's not what Jesus says, right? But it's what we do still today. Because it, it's fair to say that sometimes people, in a worldly sense, deserve our dislike for them. They, they deserve us to maybe do them wrong back. They deserve, in a worldly sense, for us to say, yeah, I really hope something wrong happens to you. Earlier this week, I was running inside on a treadmill, and I had this new watch that I got for my birthday. My parents gave it to me. And it's this really cool, it's, it's this Garmin watch. And I love running. And, and the coolest thing about this watch is it would track my mileage. And it would tell me how fast I'm going. And it would tell me the pace I'm going, how many calories were burnt, if I set a new record. And I love this watch. But I took the watch off while I was on the treadmill. And I put the watch on the treadmill. And then I left the treadmill without the watch. And I came back to the treadmill an hour later, and the watch was gone. I now had an enemy. <laughs> Who stole my watch? And so I call my parents because I'm 23 years old. Naturally, I'm still going to call them and complain. <laughs> it's kind of immature. I get it. But I call them. I'm like, Mom, you would not believe what just happened. You know that watch you got me for my birthday? Someone stole it. I, oh, man, if I could see them face to face right now. Uh, it's opposite of what Pastor Steve said in the children's center. I wouldn't walk up to them with open hands and welcoming them with closed fists. You know, it's like, oh, come on, curse you. My mom said something really good to me, something that she said to me since I was a kid. I'm going to give you about 30 more seconds to let it rip on this person because I, I get it. Yeah, that's frustrating. You love that watch. But after that, you need to let it go. You need to stop approaching them with this closed fist and let it go. Welcome them back in. And she said, this is just kind of funny, she said, Danny, you need to get over yourself. Everyone else has. <laughs> it's true. See, we develop enemies. We, we, we have bad taste for them. Sometimes it's because they did us wrong. Sometimes it's just because we're different. But it creates this issue. It creates an issue that, that, that is so huge in our world today. It's when we choose sides over people. It's when we choose our opinions and who agrees with us and we shape that and we use those ideas to shape who hangs around us, who's allowed to hang around us. We choose that over the beautiful creation that God made in his own image. It becomes us versus them. Think about the things that are us versus them. Let's list them off. For example, money. It's extremely divisive. If we have different money, if we're in a different, with money comes a different class, well, we're different. You're on a different side. It's not even necessarily the things that you did wrong to me. It's just we're different. Therefore, we can't be together. Okay, how about social issues? When was the last time you got into a debate with someone over something that you didn't agree politically? How did you approach them? Was it out of love or was it, you're my enemy, I can't agree with you, we're on different sides, we shouldn't talk? Okay, let's, let, let's get to some things that we're really here for, right? Religion. Extremely divisive. And then inside our religion, us as Christians, we are not even just us versus them, Christians and non-Christians. We even have division inside Christianity. So it's also division on theology. Division on 
denomination. And what it turns into is this separation depending on where you fall and where you lie. And it, we use those two words that are probably more decisive, divisive than any words in the English, English dictionary. Us versus them. If you're on my side, we can hang out. If you're on their side, we won't talk. It's not my business to get involved with you. What does Jesus say about that? Jesus doesn't seem to agree. If we take a look at Jesus' words in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's in uh, Matthew chapter 5, where we'll pick up, verse 43. If we could put that on the board, let's see what Jesus has to say about this whole us versus them mentality. Would you please read this with me? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. See, he's quoting what they know. This is what you heard. So you've heard that love your neighbor, you've added in the hate your enemy. Let's say this. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Do you see what Jesus says there? It's not us versus them. Because see, the sun shines and it rises in the morning for both us and them. Meaning it is not us, it is not them, it is we both experience it. The rain comes down for both. For Christ, see, we're looking at the wrong categories. It's not us, it's not them. The two categories are a lot more intimidating than that. It is perfect and imperfect. It's not which side are you on, it's how far down the scale are you? How far down the scale am I? And the interesting thing is that no matter whether it's us or whether it's them, all of us are a lot closer to imperfect than we are to perfect. We need someone. We need something. There has to be something to break through. God says, Jesus says, God rises the sun for both. He brings the rain for both. What does that say that we should do? Does it mean that we go out and we evangelize to the people who are saved? Does it mean that we go out, yeah, we talk to them, we, we have fellowship. It's important to lift one another up. But who are we called to serve? Who are we called to go out and get? If we want to do it in these terms, we're supposed to get them. And we're supposed to be one with them. And we're supposed to bring this gift to them. I mean, how much do you have to hate someone not to bring them the gift of salvation? Do you see what they're missing out on? How much do you have to not care about someone not to bring that? See, I know this to be true. I know that it's our tendency because I struggle with this so much. I choose sides and I decide which person is on mine and which person isn't. It was during my senior year of college that this really stood out to me. I was in Denver, Colorado, and uh, I was doing an internship out there uh, for my fall semester of my senior year. So I was, I was staying out there for a significant amount of time. Um, 
and so I had an idea of, you know, this big city that had quite a bit of poverty, quite a bit of homelessness. One of the requirements for my internship was that I had to do some community service work. And so I was assigned to uh, attend this, this gathering of people living in poverty, and I would get partnered up with someone, and I was to take them through the day, hopefully introduce them to some people, uh, get their feet, you know, on the ground, hopefully introduce them to somebody who can employ them. If they're homeless, help them find a job. I don't know what it was, but that day I just didn't want to be a part of it. And it really infected my heart and how I saw the people there. I was the guy who was standing in line waiting to get partnered up with my guy for the day. I was the guy in line who was seriously having the conversation, okay, so what's the fastest way I could get done with this today? What's the fastest way that I could go get lunch after this? And then I meet my guy. His name's Jonathan. Jonathan and I have very little in common. Jonathan tells me within the first few minutes of us talking that he's gay, that he is agnostic, that he is pretty sure that he has HIV. Those are three things I can't relate to. And frankly, because I had this terrible attitude going into the day, into the day thinking, well, I don't agree with your life choices necessarily. I don't agree with your beliefs. What am I here to help you for? You're on the other side, Jonathan, and I'm on this side. Not only can I not help you, I mean, what good are you going to do me? Let's just separate. Let's just get through our day. There was a lot of frustration that day for me, and, and I'm sure it was even more frustrating for him. But I want to take a look at what Jesus says about the other side. In the early parts of Jesus' ministry, if we're picking up in Mark chapter 4 here, Jesus spends a lot of time in Galilee. Things are going well. People are astonished by his teaching. Uh, they're standing in awe of his miracles. And then Jesus drops a bomb for him. He says after a sermon, he's, hey, let's go to the other side. What he's talking about is the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, you might, you might recognize this, this line here. Okay, well, that's the introduction to Jesus calming the storm, right? Yes, that is. And that's an important passage, but let's focus on another piece today. Jesus says, Let's go to the other side. Like I said, he was teaching in Galilee, where the Israelites lived, where the Jews lived, where people who believed what he had to say lived, people who were willing to follow him. On the other side of Galilee, that's where the people who lived completely different lives lived. That's where the people lived who wouldn't accept him. That's the other side. And look what Jesus, the most holy being to ever come to this earth, says. Let's go to the other side. Imagine what his disciples said in that moment. You want to go where? You want to do what? Just imagine Peter, the guy who cut off another guy's ear. Hold on, Jesus. Say, what are you talking about? This is crazy. Things are going well over here. Why do you want to? Because for Jesus, it's not about us versus them. It's who can I get? It's who can I get to follow me? Not in this selfish way, but in this way of saying, I cannot stand thinking about eternity without them. You see them as sinners. You see them as people you don't want to be associated with. You see them as an infection. I see them as souls. As souls that I want to be a part of for eternity. So Jesus goes to the other side. Immediately, he's, he's greeted by a man who's possessed by a demon. And, uh, and, and Jesus frees him of the demon. 
the man goes back to his town and people see that this man is suddenly normal. He's not acting like he's possessed anymore. And rather than people like we might suspect saying, Jesus, wow, heal us too. They say, we're scared of you. Get away. Jesus makes the effort with this other side and they reject him. What would you do? Jesus left. Yeah, Jesus, leave. Let them, they, they made that decision. Let them fall. Let them burn. This is their own fault. They've done us wrong. They call us silly. They think that we're ridiculous. They don't believe you. So yeah, Jesus goes back. But let's fast forward. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, we're going to go back. And we encounter Jesus going back to the other side. The side where his disciples probably aren't too fond of. The side where the rest of society is saying, you're hanging out with Gentiles? You know that they're not Jews, right? You know that these are sinners. You know that they're unclean. You know that they are sexually immoral. You know that they are financially corrupt. You know that they betray one another. You know that they worship other gods. You know that they eat the unclean pigs? That's complete, complete betrayal of anything that we believe. Jesus, why would you go back? In Matthew's account of this, we find that Jesus comes back, and this time, he's greeted by crowds. Everybody wants to be healed by him. Matthew writes in uh, Matthew 15, 31, he says, people saw what Jesus was doing, and these Gentiles, the Gentiles, the people who, who were unclean in the Jews' eyes, they worshiped the God of Israel. Why? What changed in them? What changed in their heart? Well, before Jesus left the first time, Jesus told this man, the one man who he was able to heal the first time, he said, you can't come with me. He wanted to. But tell everyone what happened. Keep in mind, this is one of the very few times that Jesus ever says, hey, I want you to talk to people about what I did. Is it perhaps that because Jesus sees us as an opportunity that he refuses to miss? Like I said, Jesus can't stand the thought of eternity without these people. He wants them. He, he loves them. He wants to be a part of their soul. He wants to be theirs and he wants them to be his. So could it be that the reason why they joined him was because this man went out and told him, this man is good. He saved me. And could it be that they responded because they saw this Jew, this guy from the other side, well, he cared enough for someone on ours. He cared enough to come over here. I mean, that's what Jesus does when he comes from heaven in general. Jesus couldn't just stay up there. He, God couldn't resist it. God couldn't resist sending his son. He loved us in this way that he sent his one and only son to die for us. That whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. It's for everyone. And so these Gentiles, they see it and they say, I want part of this. And so these Gentiles, they praise the God of Israel. Jesus comes in and he eliminates the sides. He sees the borders that we put between each other and he says, all right, I see your issues with each other. I see what you debate about. Let me break through that border. And he does it with this cross. And suddenly, we're stuck down here. We have a way to get to perfection. We suddenly have a platform to stand on. His name is Jesus Christ. 
in our imperfections, he makes us perfect. He fulfills what is wrong with us. And it's for everyone. It's not for us. It's not for them. It's for all of us together. There is no them anymore with Christ. It doesn't mean that you don't have to accept Jesus in your heart. It doesn't mean that that this is cheap grace. This isn't cheap grace because Jesus had to die for it. But we are united in Christ. We are not separated in Christ. And we are called to love each other because of Christ. That's why when Jesus is praying to God, as we heard in the the gospel this morning, in his final prayer before he's about to be crucified, about to be betrayed, they will know they are Christians by their love. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the hymn, right? They will know we are Christians by our love, not by our division, not by our separation. They will know by our love. They will know by the way that we hold on to each other. They will know that because we understand we're better together, it's not about us, it's not about them, it's about finding unity in Christ and using Christ to get to perfection where we could never get by ourselves. It's our only way to salvation. With Christ, there is no sides. I want to tell you the rest of my story with Jonathan and, and what happened for the rest of that day. I, if you remember the details, I told you that Jonathan told me he was gay, that Jonathan told me he was agnostic, and that Jonathan told me that he was pretty sure he had HIV. Early on in the day, I, I had our division forcefully broken down. See, we had to test Jonathan for diabetes. He was part of the job for the day. And while we tested him, a good deal of his blood smeared on my arm. I understand that, you know, it, it's not that simple when, when, you know, blood just gets on you, that a disease is going to transfer all of a sudden. But we know that that's possible. Suddenly, his blood was mine. We were together. It wasn't me and it wasn't him. It was we shared the burden for that day together. Oh, the wall came tumbling down that day. Oh, suddenly I was Jonathan. We're going to get this figured out, right? And maybe it was for the wrong reasons. Maybe it was self-motivated. But finally I just broke down. I'm like, God, I don't, I don't want to go through this stress. So I start praying right before Jonathan's about to get tested. And Jonathan looks at me and says, what are you praying for? What's the point of your prayer? And I was honestly, I'm scared, man. I, I don't know what else to do. This is my hope right now. And I don't know why I asked him, because I knew he said he was agnostic, but I, I said, do you want to, can you, can you pray with me? And I don't know if he prayed or not, because he, he didn't say any words, but he, he closed his eyes, and I know they folded his hands, and he took the position of prayer. Christ united us in that moment. It wasn't me versus Jonathan. It was Jonathan and I realizing that we are both imperfect. That we both need something bigger than us. That we both need something more than winning a debate against one another to lift us up to perfection. Jonathan got his test. He came out and he was good. Unfortunately, that wasn't the results for everybody that day, but, but Jonathan was okay came back and he, he was negative for HIV. And, and so I'm, oh, thank goodness, you know, super excited and relieved. But Jonathan said something to me. I'll never forget. He said, hey, I guess your prayer had a point. This guy who I had nothing in common with, this guy from the other side, this guy who's gay, agnostic, thought he had some diseases, things that I can't relate to, 
he came up to me, and it wasn't necessarily my choice because I'm not a touchy-feely guy, but he hugs me, and I couldn't help. I hugged him back. And it was a beautiful, beautiful moment because I know in that moment, I know right then and there, Jesus touched his heart. I've lost touch with him. I don't know where he's at right now, but in that moment, Jesus made it clear there are no sides here. I look down to get you. It's not side. I, I embrace everyone. I take you in. Yeah, take up your cross. Yes, believe in me. Have a relationship with me. It's what you need. But it's not you versus them. It's, it's you and them being one. Just as Christ and the Father are one. Just as Christ and us become one. So we're down here. Christ lifts us up. He takes us to perfection. It's not about us versus them. It's not about who did us wrong. It's not about theology. It's not about denominations. It's not about social issues. It's about a God who loves us so much that he would send his son. Hear that. In this way, God loved you. Sent his son to die. We're brought together through that. There are no more sides. We're brought together and lifted up. Yes, we're called to go out and, and pray that Christ would change hearts through us. But pray that God would make heaven more crowded through us. But it's not us against them. It's us being used for them. Will you please pray for me? <laughs> pray for me and pray with me. <laughs> Father, uh, we thank you for uniting uh, what we divide. We thank you for sending your son into this imperfect world uh, where we fall short, whether it's believers, non-believers alike, and you say, okay, my salvation is available to all of you if you just accept it. So God, I ask that you would, you would purify our hearts and, and, to see and, and how you would want us to see the world. Not by seeing us versus them, but that you would inspire us, you would motivate us, encourage us, to see the world as a place that is a mission field. To see the world full of souls that are longing for you, whether they know it or not, God. It's not us versus them. It's, it's sharing a gift with those who you're calling us to be brother and sister to. God, this isn't an easy life. This isn't cheap grace. You sent your son to die for it. But you sent your son for all we just accept him, if they just accept him, if we just accept him, God. We love you. It's all because you loved us first. Amen.